0: I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler. On this week's episode, we'll talk about the Missouri Tigers. And you know what? We've done a lot of talking this season. We're going to show you a few things on this episode. We're going to show you and not necessarily talk through everything. Uh, Max Brown comes in a relief of Graham Mertz. Solid, solid effort there by Max Brown. And we'll wrap up with a Florida State preview. We're going to really take the two bits and four bits to, to break down some of those key plays from the Missouri game. Because Will, once again... The defense didn't quite come through in, in a big moment. I, I do think they played better than they did against LSU. Obviously, you can't get much worse than that. But there were stretches of this game where they made plays, got them off the field, and they had opportunities. They had they the first half they held them on a couple drives. The second half, not so much. The second half it was a little, little more work in the second half there for that defense, but. I think the thing that most people are going to look at right away, uh, if you haven't uh, jumped up in the middle of the night and just yelled fourth and 17 at some point in the last couple of days, like that's it, pretty rough, man. That's pretty rough to give up that fourth and 17. You had an excellent breakdown, though, in your article. A- anybody who knows written reaction knows that Will does – Great post-game articles, breaking down a lot of specific plays, and we really wanted to bring one of those articles to life because I loved what I read when I read through that 4th and 17 explanation from Will this week, and I thought, what what a better way to, to, to do this episode than to have him actually walk you through it. So I came up with a name for this segment, so if you don't like it, you can blame me. But we're calling it Whiteboard Willie. We're going to have Will walk you through some plays. We did this in our magazine. We did this in our magazine this year where Will walked through some plays and broke down why they worked or what didn't work on a play. And it's one of the things I think he does uh, as well as anybody in the Gator sphere. And we're going to start it off right here with the fourth and 17, Will.
1: Yeah, so first off, Nick, we need to say they gave up 7.6 yards per play there. And I know you didn't want to stat people to death. But in terms of whether the defense played better, that that's – that's a problem, right? They, they gave up way too much. And, you know, we know that and we know they're limited, but, but it was, it was a rough one even for a game where they got some stops. Now, all that being said, Florida's offense was able to keep minute. And so, uh, you know, yeah. these, these, these plays made a big difference and it's worth breaking down just because of that specifically. So look, if we want to get to the, if we want to get to that fourth down and 17 um, this is where we sort of start. Um, the, the reality is, is that there, you can't have, um you can't give up 4th and 17th and expect to win. Yep. Now, that's not necessarily uh, breaking news here. But, but here's what I want to highlight is there's a couple of things that I think are important is if you look at what Florida's doing, or at least what I think they're doing, and I, I want to put the caveat and I put this in my article that I'm not absolutely certain what they're doing, but I think they're running essentially what's a match quarters or a cover four type scheme. So this guy goes back, this guy goes back, this guy goes back, and then over here in this side is somebody who also goes back. And then you've got this guy taking this side, this guy takes back here, and then um, and then that because it's a three by one, you got guys on the on the right hand side, that's sort of what you end up. So the 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 key to me is I think Jordan Castell, who's right here, gets too much depth. And because he gets too much depth, that opens up a space right here, now, you could make an argument, and I think Jaden Hill makes an argument <laughs> in, in terms of the way he acts after play. You could make an argument that the linebacker, Manny Nunnery, should get back further as well and that he should be in back in that zone too. But the thing that really bugs me about this one is Luther Burden makes the catch, and I'm not sure Luther Burden was the intended receiver on the play. So again, if we go through, there's a couple of things that I think are worth highlighting. One is Florida's got four guys rushing, and Missouri over here had Schrader their running back um, chip, Princely human melin. So they realized that that was the threat in terms of pass rush on fourth and 17 and they went over and they neutralized the pass rush. Florida actually ran um, a stunt up front with one of its defensive tackles and you can see they all kind of get lost in here so that that's <laughs> there's just no pressure coming at all, which is which is the first problem and has been a problem for Florida all year. But here's the other thing is this guy runs across, and gets picked up really well by Bryce Thornton, the safety. This guy runs an out and gets picked up really well by Jalen Kembers. So on the left-hand side of the defense, Florida actually did an excellent job. But what we'll see is Nunnery sort of gets lost in in no man's land. You've got Castell, who's, here's who I mentioned, who was too deep. And and here's the kicker, is right here, you've got Weiss, the wide receiver from Missouri, and, uh, and uh, Campbell or not Campbell Marshall, Jason Marshall for Florida. And they're coming over right into the play. And that's never something you would do if you were Missouri and you end up with two wide receivers in the exact same spot. So I actually think what was happening here. And if we back it up a little bit, I actually think what's happening is right here. Brady cook thinks that Luther Burden's going to keep going this way, clear everything out that the safety is going to follow him. And then that will open up. Weiss coming over here on the fourth and 17, and he'll have to beat Marshall in a one-on-one. Instead, what happens is Burden just settles right there, catches the ball in front of Weiss, and Marshall can't make a play because that's not his man. He's essentially shielded by Marshall on that play. So just to to put salt in the wounds, Florida specifically – you would want them to take away Luther Burden, obviously. So you would—you're wondering why no one's there to begin with. But I think it all starts with the safety getting a little bit too much depth. He's afraid of getting beat deep, and because he's afraid of getting beat deep, he gets too much depth that opens up the space. Burden sees it and stops, and a ball that was intended for his for his teammate ends up in his hands big time. Twenty-seven yard fourth down conversion, and uh, and and obviously then. Then Missouri is able to convert, convert a couple of easy completions after that, and make a pretty easy field goal.
0: Yeah, well, pull that screen back up. So, yeah, you look at Castell here. Which circle Castell for the people here. Let's just identify them the safety in the back right there. While we're getting that ready to go, how, just just for context, how how far back from the line of scrimmage is this right now?
1: Well, so the line of scrimmage was about here. Yep. And the first down marker is about here. Yeah. So it's, uh, and that's, that's about,
0: that's about another, uh, what, about another 15 yards? 15 yards.
1: That? And he was probably five yards further back. Yeah. Uh, before the ball got let go.
0: So we're talking about 30 to 35 yards. 30 From the line 35 of scrimmage, yards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Again, when we talk about youth on this football team, though, That's the type of youthful mistakes that you're looking at. And it's the the type of mistakes that could be backbreakers in key moments. So it's not that Castell, again, good players making bad plays sometimes, right? Everyone makes, anybody who's ever golfed before has hit a bad shot. Anyone who does anything doesn't mean you're a bad player. It probably means you're a bad player for most of us for golf. Maybe that's a bad example. But in terms of uh, this football team, you got young guys who are getting themselves slightly out of position at different times or very out of position at different times. It's not always in terms of the call from Armstrong. What do you think about the call on this play in terms of the um, call?
1: I mean, again, I don't know exactly what it is. I think the call is fine given that on the left-hand side of the line of scrim or the left-hand side of the field, Florida's picked everything up. Right. You've got You've got the running back who's picked up by Wingo right here. You've got Kimber over here, and you've got Thornton right here on wide receivers. Now, the problem is is if this guy comes across the middle and this guy keeps coming, Castell's probably too deep to be able to get in and make a play anyway. I think if he'd have led Burden, they might have actually gotten a touchdown on the play (laughs) because if Burden hadn't stopped, he would have hit him across across center. But again, that wasn't the design from Missouri. Missouri was trying to distract Florida with Burden. And, and then that would open up Weiss on the back end of essentially what amounts to a double post or a double slant. We see this with Florida a lot. Like If you think about the fourth and five that was completed by Florida earlier in the game, it was the same concept. It was just five yards from the line of scrimmage. It's one slant to occupy the safety and then another slant behind to make sure you have a one-on-one situation on the back end. So Again, Marshall's in the right position for the, the slant there. What you have is you have Castell, and you have Castell and you have Nunnery here who are not in the right position for burden burden stops right behind him right, and ends right. up catching the ball. Awesome. But again, I, I think, I think like, it's not like those guys got beat. It's that, it's that burden stopped in a place he wasn't supposed to be because of how far off they were and, and made that play. So I think what it really boils down to, and I don't think it's just Castell. I think he's too deep. I think, Armstrong would want to see him squeeze and would want to see Nunnery fall back right to the sticks because he's five yards in front of the first down marker at this point, which if, if let's say Burden stopped in front of him, you'd be okay with that because then you can come up hopefully and make the tackle. Whereas having it come over his head means they get the first down just from the completion and everything after that is extra yardage. Which is
0: there are areas where you can probably pick apart the defensive play calling at times and pick apart Austin Armstrong, but with, I guess I think this illustrates very well that I don't think Austin Armstrong called it this way. Exactly. Right. You got some guys making some mistakes in different parts of the field. That leads to it. it's also a heads up play by burden. I think you do a great job illustrating that. Cause I, I, I think that it does make no sense that they're both in the same spot based on the other concepts. It does look like there was potential for him to maybe cut back toward the middle, but he saw the soft spot and he settled in and he made an adjustment on the fly. So good play by a really talented receiver there for Missouri. Give him credit too for that play as well. But it's frustrating. But I, I also uh, I think Will gives a great great look here. Will I know we got a few other plays to go over? Let's yeah, so, uh, so let's credit. get to
1: this one. And I, I you know you were talking about um, you were talking about Armstrong not being the problem. Well, or well, let's talk about a time where he is so
0: not so. exclusively the problem. That's, Not
1: exclusively the right. problem. It's kind of so like you're...
0: the better thing at the beginning, you know. It, it, we played better than last week, right? That's that's it's relative, right? It's relative sometimes.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. So on this play, it's third and five. This is a this is where Florida's down 30-28 needs a stop. They actually get a stop on the next on the next uh, set of downs, but Missouri converts this into a pretty easy first down. And the thing I want people to notice is uh, Florida's safeties are essentially equidistant from each other, which suggests they're playing like a cover two type of scheme, some sort of zone shell. Um, the other thing you'll notice is that Schrader, the running back motions out wide. And when he goes wide, uh, Jalen Kember goes out with him. So what that means is, and let's go ahead and get him to motion out there as he motions out. What that means is you now have one, two, three Missouri receivers who are going to go out in the, in the formation. And this is all well and good because you have Jaden Hill, and then you've got two linebackers who are going to drop. And so the two linebackers will cover the two inside receivers. Jadon Hill will cover the outside receiver. But Austin Armstrong decides to blitz blitz Jadon Hill. And when he blitzes Jadon Hill, he's got to get home. Because what that means is if he doesn't get home, what that means is you've got Jordan Castell on this outside wide receiver. And you can see Castell's 10 yards off the line of scrimmage by design. He's 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. But what you'll see is the outside receiver basically runs to the sticks and then runs an out and it's a really easy pitch and catch for Missouri because of that and the other thing to watch and this is this is maybe the thing that Austin Armstrong can't predict is Hill gets lost sort of in all of this all of this traffic even as he's coming in on the blitz and so because he gets lost, he can't get there. He jumps up to try to knock the ball down. And it's just an easy pitch and catch for a first down. That's a schematic first down. That's something where your blitzer isn't necessarily skilled enough to get to the quarterback. You need to know that. You need to know there's going to be in in sort of that, that bunched formation that there's going to be a lot of traffic. If your guy can't get there through all that traffic, then you're going to have problems, especially when you've got Castell playing back. And again, I think Castell is designed to be back there but you're gonna get killed on that out every single time. And so this is a situation where schematically Florida essentially opened up that third down and this is another example of Florida not getting there on a blitz like if he had a clean run at Brady Cook then it's entirely possible that that throw is offline that the throw is high that he misses him on the outside that he rushes it that sort of stuff but because they got caught on that blitz that Hill wasn't able to get in there then it's just an easy 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 pitch and catch so you know schematically I think it would work if your blitzer got there right away the problem is none of Florida's blitzers have gotten there right away all year and Mm -hmm. so knowing that you're essentially just setting up a really easy, really easy first down conversion for Missouri and something that I think, um, you know, certainly Armstrong is going to need to consider with Rotomaker this week for FSU. You don't want to give that guy easy reads. This is an easy read, an easy first down. The minute you say Jadon Hill come in, you know that's the guy you're throwing to. You hear all the time people talk about throw in the direction of the blitz. Well, this is one you see Hill coming, you're throwing in that direction of the blitz. And since they had everybody up on the line of scrimmage, the quarterback is already expecting blitz. Now they dropped some linebackers into coverage, but again, because of the way they had stuff set up, it didn't really cause any confusion for the quarterback. It makes it pretty easy, easy first down.
0: Yeah, another good illustration there, Will. And then finally, we had the touchdown to This uh, This was right after, just to set the scene, this is right after the fumble with Max Brown where the Gators could have, uh, where they were driving to take the lead. I believe this is, so this is the uh, second play of the drive here. Yep. So second and
1: six, they've just gained sort of a short, a short game, Florida was able to stop him. I think it was either a screen pass or a run that only went for four, which for Florida's defense is kind of a win. And the crazy part about this one is Florida's defense won again. That's the thing that should maybe disturb people or, or maybe encourage people. I don't know um, about what happens. So if we watch this, this is a really standard thing. So play action, here comes the running back in this direction. Here comes a second receiver, and then a third receiver is going to come across the formation. Anybody who's watched us, anybody who's watched anybody break down Florida film all year long knows this is a flood, that you're flooding into this area. And look, Florida has one guy covered, has two guys covered, has three guys covered. The whole thing's covered. And they also have a defensive end here who should be able to get to Brady Cook, keep him inside, and bring him down for a sack. Now, we actually saw almost this exact same play on um, on the – I think it was – the one drive later they did it right and princely human mealing got a sack and was able to get the ball kicked back over to florida but in this case castells out here on the short guy for the flood and he decides to come and get the quarterback and because he decides to do that it opens it wide open right so now you have two florida defenders on the quarterback and nobody on the short flood it's an easy completion and the problem is is that your linebackers haven't really been able to get out there in pursuit and they now have to take angles that in a defense where everybody's pretty solid this probably is somebody who gets pushed out somewhere around the 35 maybe the 38 yard line but that's not what happens here what happens is is The ball gets caught, and now the linebackers are actually slow getting out. Now, I want to point out, Jakeem Jackson, who's a true freshman, does an awesome job here of going outside, maintaining outside leverage on this blocker. So, Jakeem Jackson's job is not to make the tackle here. Jakeem Jackson's job is to funnel back the guy to these three defenders give them time. So as he comes up down the sideline, you may force him back inside. And when you force him back inside, that should allow one of these three guys to make the tackle. And he does that. He, he he's outside for has outside leverage forces him back inside. And now Wingo misses the tackle. And Taraja Mitchell misses the tackle. And again, we have the same situation down on the sideline here with Jason Marshall and Bryce Thornton. So Thornton's the true freshman. Marshall, obviously, the experienced guy. This time, Marshall gets pinned to the inside. And Thornton sort of runs into him because he gets pinned to the outside. And Thornton should expect this guy to come back on the inside because Marshall's supposed to hold him to the outside. Because he doesn't hold him to the outside... He's able to get down the sideline, and Thornton and Marshall basically run into each other, and you're not able to make the tackle. So this turns into a touchdown in many ways because linebackers not not anticipating enough on the on the play specifically. Um, so if we go back here, the linebackers right now need to be getting depth they need to be getting back and then they can come and curl up and make a tackle instead they're running straight to the sideline that becomes a problem because as the as the flood wide you know becomes wide open now see how wingo just leveled everything off
0: wait if we go backwards i got a question too look at look at where mitchell is right now and where about what yard lines does he about? It'll be interesting to see again what yard line he comes it's, close it's gonna, to making contact because It's going to be up here. He gets beat to that spot by weeks. He gets beat to that spot, considering wow. where he's and at right now. Here's the thing,
1: though. Both linebackers level off and yeah. then have to go like this. Yeah. Right. So when we talk about angles, when we talk about pursuit, when we talk about speed, that's where it boils down to. So if we go back, speed is what I was implying there. Yep. Yeah. Well, here, if we go back, Wingo starts this way and then starts going this way. And that's where they get beat because as Wingo goes back and then makes it go straight over. Oh, now I have to bend it again. And when I have to bend it again, I can't get there. Same thing for Mitchell has to bend it again. Can't get there. And then Marshall needs to keep him outside. We can cut back inside.
0: Give me a rewind there. Let's see that spot where Mitchell, so Mitchell, what about the 40, about the 38 there, 39, something like that? He has a shot. He's diving at the 30. 45 45, 45. 45. I'm sorry. I thought it was going the other way there. 45. Go back, go back to where he was, or where, where about where Weese catches the ball. I just want to show you. That was interesting to me. I'm sorry, where he catches the ball. I want to yep. see uh, Mitchell starting to. I mean, even right here. Look at where Mitchell is.
1: <laughs> you should have him, right? That should be, that's tough, man. There he is, catches the ball. But again, this this to me isn't necessarily speed, it's angle. Because what he does is he comes over here and then starts coming up, yeah, right. right? He comes over here and then starts coming up. And instead, you'd like to see him continue the angle and then come up this way. So continue the angle and then come up this way. And really what that means is, again, if, um, if you've got, If you've got this guy out here, Jakeem Jackson, forcing him back inside and this guy takes an angle like this and he decides to come back inside this way at some point, then you've got Mitchell to sort of close it up. So they may actually teach. And again, this is something that I don't know. They may teach the linebacker who's lagging behind to flatten this out because he flattens it out thinking he's going to come over here and now all of a sudden you've got sort of a convergence of three different guys in this area and you're able to make the tackle. But the reality is is that you you can't like this is linebacker pursuit issues. And again, you see right he realizes oh crap <laughs> at the wrong time and and you know Ja'Keem Jackson does his job the way he's supposed to do it and it just doesn't work. But you look at this, there's no reason why one of these three guys shouldn't be able to push him out of bounds. Right? And if Jackson makes him cut back inside, there's no reason why those guys shouldn't get there. But they're not able to get there, and that's a limitation physically for Florida, but it's also just a limitation in terms of their general tackling. It's a lot of arm tackling, not necessarily, um, you know, there was that Ravens game the other night against the Bengals where the Ravens were like hip dropping and and were tearing up or I guess the Bengals were hip dropping and were tearing up all the Ravens' ankles. And there was a bunch of talk on, on I think it was Tuesday morning, about whether that sort of stuff should be outlawed. It's like, I can't remember the last time a Florida guy caught a guy up and hip to hip and then dropped and took him down. It's a lot of arm tackles and a lot of things like that. And look, these are the big plays that result when you have that sort of stuff. But this is poor pursuit, poor angles, um, and some poor fundamentals on the outside, along with an over-aggressiveness by Castell early in the play that sort of opened it up. Florida had the whole thing covered. Second and six, the whole thing's covered. If if Castell doesn't leave his man, Cook just throws the ball out of bounds, and it's third and six, and we're living to play another day. Um, that's not what happened, though. It turns into almost an eighty-yard touchdown because of the, the limitations there.
0: I think that's a great way to demonstrate what's going on with this Gators defense. Not necessarily a total disaster across the board, but just mistakes, different mistakes in different areas on these big plays will just it's not even necessarily one area of the team that's killing you.
1: yeah i mean look we talk about youth and youth certainly plays a role here but we're also 11 games into the season now too and so guys who have been starters all year long um you know these sorts of things have to get buttoned up you got to know where to drop in a particular coverage you got to know what your markers are um you got to wrap up you got to take the right angles you got to make the tackle and uh you know look a guy like taraji mitchell Dude, dude, it played at Ohio State, so it's not like he's never seen any speed. It's not like he doesn't understand what needs to be done out there. Obviously, hasn't gotten as many reps this year as he has in the past, but this is where Florida misses a guy like Shamar James because James has the speed to be able to make up for the fact that maybe he takes a bad angle or James has the speed to get to the spot that he needs to and make the guy cut back inside to his help. And To me, that's one of the big things that's missing. When you look at this Florida's pursuit from a speed perspective really seems to be lacking on lot of these plays which is why you have a lot of plays where you know the opposition doesn't even get touched right? I mean, the we didn't even show it here, but there was a run for Schrader that was like 41 or 42 yards mm. where, I mean, the, the Red Sea just opened up, and off he goes. There have been a lot of those for Florida this year, and um, you know, the reason I showed the third and five play in terms of scheme is I think sometimes that's the problem, is that the scheme is putting players in positions where there's no way they can succeed. There's no way Castell could have stopped that third and five play that we showed there, um, and nor should he. I mean, the reality is that blitz has to get home. Otherwise, that's a schematic problem, um, but it's not just scheme. There's certainly things that the players could do better. And I expect that they will do better as they get more experience and as they get taught to do so.
0: Well, that's our first segment of uh, Willie's whiteboard. I should have said this at the beginning, but if you're listening on podcasts, probably better view on YouTube uh, with that, we have that available on YouTube, but um, we'll, we'll get, we'll get back into the, to the traditional stand up and holler episode here. Uh, we'll offensively. So that that's the defensive side of the ball. Again, another game where you give up 500 yards of defense, uh an improvement from lsu like i said but (laughs) the uh it's just big big moments constantly Uh, this defense has let the team down however you were in it you did have a chance to win in part because the offense also played uh very well very well at stretches i was really impressed with the run game at times i thought the running backs were going hard as usual Max Brown adds a different element on the ground to Graham Mertz. Graham Mertz decided to do his best Tim Tebow impression. It turns out that not many guys can do what Tebow did with lowering the shoulder uh, around midfield and trucking a couple guys really says something about Mertz's toughness though. I'd like to point out the fact that after he broke his collarbone or, or fractured his collarbone, gets up, gives a first down, and the Missouri defenders down on the play. Merch was fine. He got up. He, he took the next snap. He ends up handing the ball off and realizing once an adrenaline stopped rushing. But if you want to know what type of adrenaline rush it is to make a big play as an SEC quarterback, you, you just watch that that stretch of time right there where Mertz seems totally fine after that play, and then he all of a sudden looks over after the next play and realizes, oh, yeah, I, I think uh, my collarbone, there's an issue here.
1: Well, it is ironic that after I've harped all year on Mertz's inability to run the ball and how that really harms Florida's offense and harms sort of his overall stats, that it's a big time run, big time first down conversion that that drives him out for the <laughs> for the rest of the season. So, look, I mean, I've en- I've enjoyed watching this for Graham Mertz. I think there are some things that have been overblown in terms of how how well he's played, but I think he's played about as about what we could have expected from a ceiling perspective for Mertz. And so, congratulations to him for having a very good season and you know florida's florida's team doesn't win five games so far without mertz playing as well as he has and so um you know it's it's uh it's been an interesting season, certainly. Um, there have been some some markers in the statistics that have that have confused me in terms of how Florida's played on the offensive side of the ball. They were really starting to move the ball on this one. Uh, Mertz played really well, was averaging over eight yards per, per attempt in this one, so he ends up averaging 8.7 yards per attempt. Um, starts with the big one to Pearsall that sort of gets Florida back in the game after giving up a touchdown to start. Five rushes for 13 yards. So that's one of those markers I look at if he's like in negative yardage, usually bad for the Gators. You know, five for 13 means one, he's not taking a bunch of sacks, but two, not a complete negative running running on that side of the ball. So, you know, look, Mertz, I would say this was one of the best games he's played. I think you could probably say there's a couple other ones people point to. South Carolina, potentially Tennessee. But this is one where it felt like he had complete command of the offense. And certainly when he went down, uh, <laughs> everybody was sort of collectively holding their breath.
0: Yeah, he's been a steady influence on the team. And and I know we talked about this last week, but Napier can really, again, if Napier's going to take all the criticism, you got to point out what he's doing well. And to to me, like this version of Graham Mertz did not exist before he got to Gainesville. So I I thought this would have been an absolute high-end optimistic version of what we would get from Graham Mertz this season. And I I think Napier and Mertz delivered on that front. And it seems like he's a great guy in the locker room. Napier speaks glowingly of him constantly. So it just seems like uh, he's been a, a good influence for this team put his heart out there as a competitor for, for the Gators on that play. And, uh, Hey, t- tough to see him go out that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, would love, I mean, obviously I think we'd love to have him for the game against Florida state this week, certainly don't have him for that. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll sort of get, I mean, we'll, we'll see what Florida's got when someone has a full week to prepare for Max Brown. Now, after seeing some of the stuff that he's put on tape, but, uh, you know, Merch has been a big part of this team. he has been a big, you know, obviously, um, You know, we all looked and said, are we going to get the Wisconsin version of Graham Mertz? I think there were times we did get the Wisconsin version, but I think most of the time we got a better version than we saw at Wisconsin. So kudos to him for putting that together. We always said he was sort of a high floor, low ceiling type of player. Um, I think he reached that ceiling. I don't know. There will be another leap for next year from where he was this year to where he is or, you know, from where he is right now to where he would be next year. But um, again, there's no shame in that. He played very, very well in the SEC um, over the course of a year. And I think you applaud him for it and, and thank him for it. And, you know, hope hopefully he'll be part of the competition. I'm assuming he'll be part of the competition next year to see who takes the reins between uh, Max Brown
0: himself and, and DJ Legway. Yeah, certainly had the Gators in position to win some games that, that we've ended up on the wrong side of. So I think it's been a, uh... Good experience this season with Graham Mertz overall, but Max Brown. You see him jump right into the game, lead the team down the field. And oh no, he fumbles on the snap. Well, it on the on the snap. I'm sorry, on the handoff. He fumbles a handoff exchange. We saw an almost fumble on another handoff exchange later on, but he he ended up figuring that out. You see the athleticism from this guy. He's quick. He's explosive. When when he kept the ball on the RPO when he read it and kept the ball and took off a couple times. It's like, well, we haven't seen that. We haven't seen that uh, at all this year. So he's got a totally different look to him. He can throw the ball well. He can pass the ball uh, run the ball effectively. This is just a guy that's going to give you a completely different look on defense than Graham Mertz does week to week. Might not have the level of command of the offense that Mertz uh, seemed to demonstrate, but can bring success in other areas. Yeah. Well, I mean, there were a couple of times where he actually
1: scrambled, was able to get back to the line of scrimmage or maybe lost a yard or two. There was the one sack he took, but that was one where ETN sort of laid the chip on the outside. And, uh, I think even on the broadcast, they said it might be the easiest sack you'll ever see for a defensive yeah. end. Um, so, yeah, I thought he acquitted himself really well. I averaged 11 yards per pass, so 11.2 yards per pass. I averaged six yards per run, had a couple of explosives. Um, my yards above placement has him at 3.35. That's like Heisman-level type play for the time that he was in there. Now, granted, that's like a quarter, right? So we don't want to get too excited about it. But this was always the proposition for Max Brown. You could see it with his high school stats. His high school stats showed that he ran a ton and that he completed a high percentage of his passes, like over 70%. In fact, it might have been even over 75% his senior year there in high school. Now the que- and it was going downfield. Now the question is: is the level of competition that he was playing out there in Oklahoma was relatively low, um, given some of the other major high school programs that are out there. Like he wasn't playing against your Texas, you know, high class, you know, high level fo- football out there. He was playing at lower levels. But you know, I've written a couple articles about Brown. You could see in the film that he had all the skills. it wasn't an arm strength thing that was keeping him rated as a three star. It was really level of competition, and then people not. You know, I think in many ways people not seeing him out there. So I've been very bullish on uh, on on Brown for a while now. Was uh, wrote something called "Why Not Max Brown?" Before the season started, and the whole intent of that was not to say that he's going to be better through the air than either Graham Mertz or Jack Miller. It was to say that what he brings with his legs is something that is of value to Florida specifically, and you could see that in this game where the running game started to open up. It wasn't that Florida didn't wasn't effective running the ball with Mertz in the game. In fact, they actually averaged more yards per carry than they did. It was that it was that Missouri expected them to run the ball with Brown in the game and still couldn't stop them until that last drive down in the red zone. And that, to me, is the difference, is that the threat for the quarterback, holding the defensive end, holding the linebacker, holding the safety, makes it easier for guys like ETN and Montrell Johnson. And one of the things that I highlighted maybe four or five weeks ago for the offense is that the running backs were getting hit closer to the line of scrimmage. Than they were last year. It wasn't necessarily that they were um, like on average. So it wasn't necessarily that they were struggling with like making cuts or beating guys in the hole. It was that they were getting hit behind the line of scrimmage way too often. And in many ways, that was because Graham Mertz wasn't able to hold the linebackers who were, you know, hold the linebackers or the defensive ends who were crashing. And there wasn't anybody holding them being honest on the outside. So I think what you're going to see, even against a really good Florida State defense this week, is you're going to see that the threat of him running outside is going to open up some things for Montreal Johnson and ETN. And that probably doesn't necessarily equate to a ton of like 25 or 30 yard runs, but I think you're going to see a lot more 12 and 13 yard runs where they're eight or even like seven yard runs where you hand it off to them on second and 10 after an incomplete pass. And it's not automatically third and nine, it's now third and three and you have an opportunity to convert. And so I do think that that read option game specifically is going to open things up. There was one play in my post game article where I showed they had a mesh point Point, and usually you see a mesh point between the quarterback and the running back. But on one particular play, they had a mesh point where they had Trey Wilson coming in motion, they had ETN at running back, and then you had Max Brown as a threat to run as well. And all three guys came to the mesh point at the exact same time, which meant the defense doesn't know where the ball is going. Now, Floral only gained like four or five yards on the play, I think, because Brown really made the wrong read. But That's what's coming. What's coming this week is that they are going to try misdirection with a lot of different things with Brown's ability to run and hopefully open things up against a really tough Florida State defense.
0: And all you need to know about the guy, he comes in, leads the team down the field about, what was it about, they were about around midfield, right? So another 20, 30 yards or so, goes down the field, bad exchange, ends up losing the fumble, Mizzou Takes that ball because you went over the Weiss touchdown right down the sideline. What was it 77 yards? Touchdown Missouri's up 30 to 21. So you now have a nine point deficit in the fourth quarter of an SEC road game against a top 10 opponent. And how does the kid respond? He goes down, he leads a touchdown drive and a field goal drive to put the Gators up late. I think that was awesome for Max Brown late in the game, and I, I think he looked like a natural. I converted on a fourth down on a tough pass and then uh, threw a ball up. Cleo Jackson made a fantastic grab that gets a little lost in all the highlights of this game, but really contributed to making the last 10 to ten minutes of this game, I'd say, were absolutely electric, and that was a big part in in due part to Max Brown there.
1: So two things I want to say is obviously people are going to look at his running and they're going to say, that's the big difference differentiator. And I think that's true. Um, but two things I want to highlight fourth and five, he found a guy in one-on-one coverage It was Khalil Jackson. He hit him right on the numbers, converts that one. The next play, the deep shot to Khalil Jackson. Jackson has to make a great play to bring that in. One-on-one coverage. Like Those are the things you want to look for if you're looking at quarterback performance. Is he throwing it into a place where the guy has a one-on-one shot to get it done? And if you're throwing, and this is the same thing you want to see against Florida State, if he's throwing into situations where the the wide receivers have a one-on-one shot to get it, even if the throws a little bit underthrown even if the throw isn't perfect if you give your receiver a shot to go up and get it your receiver should have an advantage we've seen this all the time against florida's defense where you know they chuck it up deep the corners there but the wide receiver is able to bring it down the wide receiver has an advantage in those circumstances both from a just being able to see the ball and, and see it maybe a little bit earlier, but also from the standpoint of the defender likely is going to cause, is going to cause interference if he runs into him, Right. And so there's a lot of things sort of against the defender at that point and Brown throwing it up in one-on-one coverage there on the outside, I think really bodes well. He was able to, at key moments, get the ball to the right spot on the field, given what the defense was dictating towards him. And, and I think if you go back and look at it, Missouri might've done some post-snap stuff, And I'm sure we're going to see that from Florida State this week is there's going to be some post snap adjustments that Brown's going to have to either see and recognize or he's going to have to use his athleticism to get out of the jam that he causes because he didn't recognize the shift in coverage at some point along the way. And, uh, you know, we'll see whether he's able to do that.
0: Plenty of touches for Johnson and ETN. You know, we like that. Uh, You know, they touch the ball. You put up 31 points. It's 85 yards for Johnson, 82 for ETN. Pierce saw a nice touchdown on the reverse as well. That was that you took that in the open field and uh, beat beat the defense to the edge. Ends up uh hitting the pylon for the touchdown. Uh you mentioned Khalil Jackson, four receptions for fifty-two yards. I Wilson seven receptions, but what, twenty-three yards and a touchdown? I that one t- the first touchdown there, the opening touchdown is a beautiful pass from merch to Wilson. Do you want to see Wilson go down them go downfield with Wilson a little more? So I'm actually not necessarily so,
1: he's not going to be an elite route runner at this point, like Ricky Pearsall. Um, the thing I wish wish they'd done with Wilson is I wish they'd put him in the backfield on one of those plays when they had the first, second, and third down runs. You put him in the backfield, you fake it to ETN, and you slip him out right into the flat. And then you get Trey Wilson one on one against the linebacker in the flat or against the safety in the flat. It's a safe pass for Brown. You're almost guaranteed to keep the clock running but you have an opportunity on the outside with Trey Wilson to potentially get a first down and put the game away. Those are the types of things I'd like to see him do. They did it against Georgia. They had a second and nine or a third and nine play on the opening drive against Georgia that was basically the Trey Wilson drive where they put Wilson in the backfield. They faked the ball to Montreal Johnson. Wilson slips out into the flat. They hit him and it ends up being a nine yard gain like those sorts of things. That's not necessarily an aggressive play call from you know a risk standpoint, right? If Wilson ends up if Wilson ends up covered and you don't want to throw the interception or you don't want to risk throwing an incompletion, then Max Brown can just run it. Right? Like, and with Mertz not in there, now that you got Brown, you, you tell Brown, look, if he's not open, just run it. But those are the things. I think there are some things schematically that they can do to get Trey Wilson open. Downfield, eh, I'm, I'm a little bit, le- again, I think the defense usually dictates where you go with stuff downfield. I think that's a place, though, where you could dictate getting the ball to Trey Wilson. Same thing. I mean, they run those little jet sweeps. Like, they have pre decided almost that they're going to get that ball to Wilson at that point. You've said, we want to get it in his hands, and they do it that way. They're probably some other ways to do that right by the line of scrimmage um anybody who watched uh the the kansas city game this week on Monday night, the Eagles were running this little middle screen to their running backs like all night long, over and over and over again. It was driving Kansas City nuts, and that's a play that I think would be kind of cool to add in with Brown because Brown's going to stretch the team sideways, right? The defense is going to start moving sideways every time they think there's an opportunity for Brown to run. You run a screen pass back to the middle to a guy like Trey Wilson who's lined up in the backfield. So to me, it's less downfield; it's more put him in the backfield as a running back, get him on a linebacker, and then see what he can do on something that's irrelevant high percentage throw
0: you know well another aspect of your article that i really enjoyed this week you you pointed out the drive before halftime and then the decision fairly conservative play calling at the very end of the game to settle for a field goal what do you how, how do you feel about each of those instances and uh what do you think napier needs to do going forward Well, so I mean, I think this is this has been a constant theme really since
1: the Tennessee game last year, where Napier last four minutes of the first half tends to go into a shell because he's worried that his defense is going to give up another score. Um, I disagree with that approach because I think you're going to have to come out all bullets flying to try to offset the limitations that your defense has. And you know, again, if you had an elite defense or even if you had an average defense, I think three runs running the clock down, making Missouri take all their timeouts, assuming your running back stays in bounds, and then saying, Hey, you got a minute and a half left with no timeouts. If you can drive down the field and make a field goal, then hey, more power to you. The problem is Missouri has a guy who can make a field goal from 60 yards. And Florida's defense hasn't been able to stop anybody. So you got them in fourth and 17 and we're all sitting here going kind of fourth and 17 play, if only they make that play. But I mean, it's also a unit that hasn't made that play all year long. And so I wonder, and, and here's the question Napier has to answer. The question is, do I prefer a play action pass where I'm faking the ball to ETN and trying to get it to either a tight end or um, Trey Wilson out in the flat to try to get that first down to win it? is the risk more there or is the risk more putting it on my defense to stop Missouri from going down the field? I think most people would look at it and say, the risk is more putting it on, on the defense. And, and the problem is if you looked at ESPN's win probability in the game, when they kicked the ball back to Missouri up 31 to 30 with a minute 30 left, they only had a, Florida only had a 60%, chance of winning the game. So as a six out of 10 proposition, they were going to win the game essentially is what they gained by kicking that field goal. And if you looked at it on fourth down, right before they kicked the field goal, it was something like, or I mean maybe third down before they kicked the field goal, it was something like 54%. So they only gained like 6% in terms of their win probability, but then they have to put the ball in the hands of their defense. So I think that's really the thing is the conservatism seems to come from a fear of putting Putting the game in the defense's hands but then they end up putting the game in the defense's hands it was the same thing for lsu the other week they they ran you know two weeks ago they ran out the clock on three running plays at the end of the first half and my issue wasn't that they ran out their clock my issue is is that you gave up a possession against lsu in a game where you know you're going to have to score a bunch. And so I think in every game that Florida's in at this point, given what we've seen from the defense, they are 131st in yards per play allowed out of 133 teams. So you know every possession is valuable. We've seen them lose now two games where it's a one-score possession at the end of the game against Arkansas and against Missouri. And if they had one more possession to put up three or seven more points, it would have made a huge difference. And whether those three points come in the last drive of the game or whether they come with the last drive of the half or whether they come with seven minutes left in the second quarter to me doesn't really matter it's that napier needs to do everything he can to maximize the possessions that he has in order to bring florida you know in order to get as many points as he can because you know the defense is going to struggle
0: well one more shot for the gators to go bowling here well we got florida state coming into the swamp i don't care what the records are uh especially i don't care what the records are when we're five and six and they're 11 and out but uh they're coming in the swamp with one opportunity to go bowling here. Big, big injury to Jordan Travis. I don't care that it's Florida State. I don't care that's your rival. You hate seeing something like that. That was terrible, terrible injury. Uh they cut they cut they even cut it off TV. They stopped showing it, apparently. But awful injury to Travis against North Alabama. He had the Seminoles cooking. Uh this team was seemingly on a roll to the to the playoffs uh, with Florida and Louisville standing in the way here with Travis out you got Tate Rotemaker, uh, and you got the college football playoff committee dropping FSU down to the number five spot now Ohio State Michigan do play this weekend so you would think if FSU does win out that's got to put them in the playoff either way but this is a big big game for Florida State as well so we're, we're playing for our bowl lives they're playing to show that they're not going to miss a beat and that they're going to keep going. I don't think they can play the way they can with Travis in there. Uh, Rotomaker, I think he can. He's more than a serviceable backup. He certainly stepped in against Louisville last year and and led the team to a win. Kept it was a high scoring game too. So move the move the ball effectively. I think he's a very good backup. Actually, I think he'll be more than adequate stepping in here against our defense in the swamp on Saturday but definitely not the same experience you'll get as if Jordan Travis were at the helm.
1: No. And I think the big thing is for, for Rotomaker, he doesn't run the ball that much. So you you think about, um, you think about a guy like Travis and what he brought to the, to the Seminoles offense. It's not just what he did throwing the ball. It's it's that he was able to run the ball a lot and that those key third downs and those sorts of things just were were things that that absolutely killed Florida last year. And, and that's not going to be there. So if if you look at, if you look at Rotomaker this year, he's got four rushes for eight yards overall, and he's got 56 completions and 93 attempts. So that ratio in terms of him being able to go off and, and, and take off, um, you know, that's just, it is what it is, right? He's 22 attempts and nine yards in his entire career. So, what you're looking at is a guy who's going to take some sacks, a guy who's going to stay in the pocket. And if you look at the game against North Alabama last week, what I saw was a guy who locks onto his first receiver and has to be flushed before he then moves to his second or his third read. So, that's going to be the critical thing for Florida, I think, in this one is going to be one, can you get pressure on the guy? Because Florida's defense and the secondary against Johnny Wilson and, and Keon Coleman are going to struggle if they don't get any pressure and those guys are open. If the first read's open, Rodemaker has a cannon. He's going to be able to get the ball to where he needs to get it to if the first read is open. But if Florida can flummox that first read, I think he'll sit there and tap the ball a few times waiting for that first read to come open. You could see that in the North Alabama game. And he's not a guy who's going to take off. So that also then bodes well for Armstrong's defense, which he tends to like to play a lot of man-to-man. And they've gotten killed against K.J. Jefferson and against uh, and against Jaden Daniels. And in some respects, Cook didn't really kill him last week, but they've been facing guys who can run quite a bit and get an easy first down. Down when you play man-to-man because you get past the initial front and all of a sudden there's nobody there to tackle him. Well, Rodemaker, if he ends up um making a big play like that, that'll be out of character for him. Like he's somebody who tends not to do that. So they don't need to worry so much about contain, which means they can go get him. And that and that'll be the question to me is when human Milan comes in and has a shot, does he bring him down or can he kind of slip out of there, take a step forward, get to his second read and oh that guy's open. So you start thinking to me, the key to this game for Florida's defense is going to be time. How quick do you make Rotomaker get rid of the ball? which means Armstrong's going to bring some blitzes and you're going to open yourself on the back end. But Florida's been open on the back end pretty much all year. And so, uh, you know, I, I think it's probably worth the risk this week to to go pretty heavy on the blitzing.
0: FSU has had some games where they're not they, – they have a high ceiling with that offense, but they've had some games where they haven't been performing at an optimal level, and they've played some close games at, at times. But the defense has been – rock solid for most of the year. And I think that's what's going to put them over the top. If they end up beating Florida this weekend and beating Louisville, I think that's they, – they got a complete team this year. I think they they play good defense on the other side of the ball there. No team's uh, scored 30 points yet against this Florida State defense.
1: I mean, look, they're giving up 17 points per game against FBS opponents. That's an awesome stat. I would kill for that kind of stat yeah. for Florida. I mean, that's ninth in the country, right? And that's that's what you're looking at. You're looking at a top 10 defense. They're a little bit worse in yards per play. They're 25th overall. They're 52nd in yards per rush. And then they're 15th in yards per pass. So again, if you're looking at where Florida might be able to take an advantage, Florida State not quite as effective against the run. And obviously, Max Brown brings that aspect to the Florida offense in a way that we haven't seen it all year. That Florida's going to have to play out of character. That's just the reality is if Florida scores seven. 17 points. Florida State and Rotomaker and their rushing game and all the explosives we've seen all year from running games specifically, like Florida State's going to end up getting that. I still think this is probably a game that's in the 30s if, if Florida's winning the game, um, you know, they're going to need 32, 35 points and that'll be out of character for Florida state to have given up that many points. But again, this is one of those where it's emotional. Obviously it's at home for Florida senior night. They're honoring Tebow at halftime. There's all sorts of sort of extracurriculars that go on in, in this particular rivalry that I do think have an impact or potentially have an impact at the same time. Um, you know, I don't think there's any, any, um, any druthers, I don't think I'm making any news here by saying Florida State is a decided favorite. Uh, but obviously when you lose the heart and soul of your team, I mean, think about it. If Tebow had gotten hurt before the Florida State games when Florida was going on those runs, would we have felt great as Florida fans going into those games with with Brantley playing playing his first ever start, you know, in Doke Campbell, even with Florida as a 10 0 or 11 0 team going into those games? No, we would have been we would have been a little bit pensive going to that game. So I think that's what you're what you're seeing from Florida state right now is Rotomaker going to be awful. Um, probably not, but at the same time, a couple of turnovers gives Florida a short field. And all of a sudden now you're looking at, uh, you know, all, all of a sudden you're looking at a team that, that if they can get up and this is sort of the, the, the has been the theme to me the last couple of weeks is Florida has been playing catch up every single game they're in. Whether they, whether it was against Missouri, um, you know, it's 13-7 at the half. Eventually Missouri is up 30 to 21. In that LSU game, um, you know, Florida down 17-14, I think, at the half, and then is sort of playing catch up the entire second half. Um, those sorts of things, they need to get off to a fast start. They need to get up 10 0, 14 nothing, 21 to 10, something like that, where all of a sudden they can kind of sit on the ball and make the clock run and they can kind of hold on after you know and sort of shrink how long the actual game will be and I think that's uh that's going to be a big part of uh of whether they can win this game
0: well the one thing I think the committee's made the playoff committees made absolutely clear is that Florida State I I was almost thinking with Jordan Travis if Jordan Travis was still quarterback they lose this game to Florida they go back they smash Louisville something's happened out in the country they're they're in the playoffs either way I think without Travis, you drop this game to Florida. That's that's it for the yep. playoffs. No conversation yep. about the playoffs. So I definitely think there's more on the line for this FSU team coming. In. Certainly, plenty on the line for the Gators with bowl eligibility on the line. Uh, and give this team credit, Will. I neither one of us think five and six is a great season at the University of Florida. All right, this is not. I think even Napier said in his presser this this week, your record. Says who you are. You know, we're five and six football team. But there's been no quit in this team. We've been outmanned on some days. We've been beat on some days. There's been sides of the ball that I haven't – mostly the defense hasn't shown up at times. But this team finds a way. That LSU game, you're in it in the fourth quarter. That Missouri game, you're in it in the fourth quarter. Like, it's late in the season. Look what USC just did out with UCLA last weekend. There are some teams across this country where it's like – are they? Are you totally showing up? We saw that story in 2021 when Mullen was shown the door that that team did not perform down the stretch. This team has had a frustrating season in terms of wins and losses, but they're in it, they're fighting, and that's the type of stuff you can build on for the future. That's the type of thing you talk about culture, you talk about the locker room and the, all the young guys building for the future. I think that's the positive you could take out of a frustrating five and six start to the season here with uh, one more shot at a bowl game.
1: Well, I mean, we'll see, right? I mean, if Napier ends up winning this one and winning a bowl game, you're seven and six and you got some momentum heading heading into the next year. I think the narrative really changes. Obviously, if you lose this one, you're five and seven, you have no bowl game. Um, You know, The narrative sort of shifts the other direction, and especially depending upon how this one turns out. Florida State's a good team of course it's a really good team there's a reason why they're ranked five in the country for in the in the playoff rankings and if Travis was around this would be something where Florida be be underdogs by three or four touchdowns right I mean it'd be it'd be 15 16 17 points probably that Florida would be an underdog and that's not just because of the quarterback that's because of all the other things and lack of defensive breakdowns probably being the number one thing on that list um, look it's great to go out and play really really hard I'm, I'm glad that they aren't just like you know bending over and 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 completely completely letting these games get out of hand same time you know it's college football it's not it's not wee. it's not high school football it it's you're judged by wins and losses yep. and and the players have talked about this right that they want a win that they are hungry for a win and i think the fan base is too so you you know if you're napier if you're this this program in general if you're a player in the program you end up buying yourself probably two or three months of goodwill or at least the people who wish you ill not being able to say anything for a couple of months because of a win here. And obviously if, if you lose one close, maybe but then you're still talking about moral victories again and if you lose it big well you know how far behind are we from florida state considering that we all thought we were ahead coming into this season or or at least certainly halfway through last season and and that's just not where florida is so um a lot on the line here and and something where i think um obviously i'm going to be there yelling my yelling my face off so we'll see whether i have any voice next week and uh you know It's it's a big opportunity for this program. So I think Sykes, Bill Sykes told me years ago, it was like two or three years ago that basically the winner of the Florida Florida State game has finished higher in recruiting every year for like a decade. So those two are sort of neck and neck in terms of where they are in recruiting. I think Florida's going to end up ahead, assuming they they fill out their class. But uh, but this is a big one. Win this game, finish ahead of them in recruiting, get to a bowl game, get those extra practices, get hopefully a win in a bowl game, and uh, you know all that. What that means in terms of momentum, positivity, people behind the program supporting your NIL, supporting the 2025 class, which to be honest, at this point is probably more important than the 2024. The 2024 is mostly put together. There's some other guys we need to get in there Seton specifically but uh you know if we could fill out that class start filling out the 2025 class get some positivity around the program i think that's a big deal for billy napier
0: beating florida state is always great beating an undefeated florida state in the swamp to ruin their playoffs chances even better even better let's hope we see that on saturday will uh happy thanksgiving you got you down at your folks place I am. I'm in my dad's office
1: right now. So, yeah. uh, so we'll we'll get to go to the game this weekend, tailgate with all of our buddies, and uh, you know, hopefully have a good time.
0: Yep. Yep. All right. Great. Well. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. This weekend, have a great weekend overall, and uh, let's go get the Nulls man. For Will Miles, I'm Nick Newton. Go Gators.
1: Hey everybody! Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction, or you can go to patreon.com/readandreaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anything over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.